Okay, well, thank you everyone for being here. And thank you especially to Crystal for being our guest of honor. Crystal Christmas is from CureNav and she has quite the story um, that I'm so excited for all of you to hear. Um, so Crystal, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Um, so we're gonna have a time of Q&A at the end, um, but for now, we're just gonna um, get into some uh, details about your story. So I, I'd love to hear first uh, for you to share your story about CureNav and how it came to be. Okay, so CureNav is a labor of love, uh, really, and um, two full-time jobs, not one, mm. where um, we've developed a process to assist uh, cancer patients who are actively in the battle, patients who are in remission, and also patients with other chronic illnesses, and actually we're branching into wellness now, be able to navigate their health journey. So we kind of stand in as an assistant and a translator to try to make it less stressful. It has some real interesting components that are actually analytical, and um, at some point in the near future, we're expecting it to go into a clinical trial because there's some things we do with data and information that yields better and more information that I'll tell you about my husband's journey brings things to light that weren't in the light before. So CureNav uh, was a result of a tragic experience that I had. Um, I was married to a man named William who was diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer. He was 53 years old when he was diagnosed and he was given a prognosis of about six months. And so I had no medical background at that time. I, uh, I quit my job and said, okay, we're gonna just do everything we can to try to turn this around. And what I didn't realize at the time was I have this stress mechanism inside of me that is seeking knowledge under stress, which I think is actually probably true for everyone. Uncertainty causes stress. And so what I wanted to know is what do we know? And I couldn't get those answers from the medical professionals. And we went all across the country and interviewed oncologists for his personal physician, went to a major cancer center, had a local oncologist on board. But when I would ask questions and I would get back answers that were like, well, I don't know, well, let's try this. I was extremely frustrated because I wanted the formula for success. And so what that led me to was just trying to sort out what do we know, what do we not know, so that I can ask better questions. And so we were on this journey, and he was actually doing really well, high quality of life, although being diagnosed at stage four is much more difficult than stage one in most cases. Very low chance of survival. The, the five-year survival for his cancer was 3%. But I just kind of put that out of my head and said, well, we're just going to figure it out. So we were both business people, and, and I still am, and decided to apply the principles of business to cancer and said, okay, what, what would we do if this was a failing company? You know, we would go in and do a deep dive, figure out what's going on, hire the right vendors, you know, look at it from all the different angles and turn this around. And that brought incredible insight to me. What I didn't realize at the time until later in his journey was that the medical system is poised to be there to support you through the pharmaceuticals, and, and this is the U.S. medical system I'm talking about, through the pharmaceuticals and the protocols and the clinical studies, but there is a big gap between the trans, in the translation between 
you know, you get a diagnosis of cancer, for example, and immediately on day one, you're making decisions without the associated knowledge to be able to, to make educated decisions. And you're dependent upon someone who really only has usually 15 to 30 minutes to spend with you. And they've, you know, got years and years of experience and that's great to draw on, but the transfer of that knowledge is very difficult. So I just kept making appointments. We went to the doctor more than anyone probably and discovered something insightful was that insurance would pay for that, but we didn't know that. And wow. so he was local to a community hospital for his treatments and then going to a cancer center for an opinion. And both doctors were consulting with us on his case and the insurance company was never objecting to this. So we didn't realize that, that you could do that. We also didn't realize that each doctor comes with his own set of experience, his or her own set of experience. And depending, and I'm not talking about education or anything, but I'm talking about how much exposure to they, do they have to the, the disease that, that's in front of them or the type of disease. And as we know, all cancer is not created equal and every person is individual. So it requires this very individualized approach. Yet we categorize cancer geographically by the, the location in the body typically. And then we treat it with a, a, a line of a protocol, a standard protocol that is kind of a one size fits all. And new, being new to cancer at the time, we just like the doctors know everything and we know nothing. And so we're just going to trust what they say. Well, I do completely believe that doctors generally have the patient's best interest at heart. I don't believe that they're equipped to really give the patient all of the options that are available to them. And so they give you what's available to them and then you're left to kind of figure the rest out. So by chance, due to stress, I just started writing things down. I started creating Excel spreadsheets. I started making charts and graphs of every time we'd go in and get lab work. I didn't know what any of those values meant, but I just chart them in Excel. And I started noticing something that was universal. And so if you think about a stock chart, right? We may not, you may not be into stocks or equities and bonds, but if you look at a chart that has a peak and a valley, we understand what that means. And then you add the, the values into the graph. And so I began to graph. I didn't even have the skills to graph this like with a computer uh, software. I put, the, put everything in Excel and then I would hand draw the values out and write in the, the items on the X axis like chemo treatment number one, chemo treatment number two. This is when we changed a protocol. This is when we went on vacation. And I started to notice so these, these trends were emerging. And so there was these, changes that were happening between chemo treatments and then at one point the chemo was not working anymore and so there was a rise in some of these values he had in his case he had it in the liver the lungs bone and also the the esophagus at the the gastric right at the stomach at the junction and so i was watching his liver enzymes and we were looking at kidney values and again not knowing what they were but just seeing there's a there's a value here and there's an acronym and it means something and then going and getting that knowledge. And I carried a chart in. So 11 months into the journey, he was still doing really well. And I walked into the hospital and said, his cancer's growing. And um, the doctor said, there's no way you can know that. It's not time for a scan. And I said, but that's what the data says. And so the doctor said, what data are you talking about? 
And so this was five and a half years ago. So there were still electronic health records at the time, but they weren't what they are today. And even the ones that we have today don't aggregate all of the data that we have as patients. And there's some restrictions around HIPAA that creates problems. So there's it's still a problem. So the doctor said, what data? What data are you talking about? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just a caregiver. I'm just a wife. I'm not a doctor. And I'm deferring to all of these people smarter than I am. But how come I know the cancer's growing and he doesn't? And so I showed him the chart and he said, where did you get this? And I said, I made it. And he said, can I, can I keep it? And I said, sure. And he said, okay, his cancer's growing. We need to change the protocol. Wow. And that was like the eye-opening moment for me where I went, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, we're 11 months in and I just realized that I have more information than you have. And all these decisions we've made up to this point have been based on the fact that you know, the medical system has more information than we have. So that was a really scary moment for me. And I, so I took the data more seriously at that point, even though I was really not sleeping and studying all the possible options, but I started tracking his side effects. So the chemotherapy in his case was bringing on side effects, dry mouth. And, um, he ended up with a, uh, intestinal yeast infection. And, so I started noticing some signs and symptoms and I'm marking them and measuring them. And so at CureNav, we say what you can measure, you can track, and what you can track, you can change. Just like weight loss or exercise, you measure where you're at, you track what you do, and then you see what the result is and make the appropriate changes. Awesome. So, so I, I called his doctor and I said, you know, I think that he's starting with an intestinal yeast infection. And they said, why? And I said, well, here's the five symptoms he's having. And here's how they've progressed over the last three days. And they go, oh, yep, that's an intestinal yeast infection. So they called him in a pill. So a one pill prescription, picked it up at the pharmacy. Next day, he was completely fine. Wow. And so we went in for the visit. And he said, um, he used to say, I, he was my science experiment. He used to tease me. But we went in for the visit. <laughs> And he said, you know, well, so what did I have? And the doctor said, well, you had this intestinal yeast infection. And he said, how do you know? And he said, then the doctor said, well, because Crystal gave me the symptoms and it happens all the time. And William said, what do you mean it happens all the time? Why didn't you tell me ahead of time? What are you talking about? What else is going to happen? Mm -hmm. And the doctor literally said, if I told you everything that was possible, we'd be here for two weeks. And that was another moment for me where, and we had a great rapport. The doctor didn't mean it in any kind of negative way. It's just things move so fast with cancer and decisions get made. And especially in a case for stage four and spread throughout the, the body, the, the decisions, we don't have time to sit and chat for two weeks about all the possibilities. So that was another sort of bookmark moment for me where I went, this is just not fair. It's not right and it's not fair and somebody needs to change this. And so William lived 15 months and he passed away. He actually had a side effect from the chemotherapy that I could see coming two months before it happened, marking all of the little signs and symptoms. And given the knowledge I have today, there's no doubt in my mind I could have changed that outcome and extended his life at that point. But the real turning point for me was after he passed, I had to, well, I pulled all of his records together. 
So I had all of this stuff. I carried around a suitcase literally to the doctor's offices because we'd be in the doctor's office and they'd say, oh, I don't have those results. And I'd say, well, I have them. They're right here and images and everything. And I became that person, right? Like the lady in the hospital with the suitcase. But um, I was putting all the bad, quote unquote, bad patient kind of, <laughs> you know, asking all the questions. Yeah. yeah. And, and so after he, he passed and I started putting records together, I requested all the records from the hospital. So I wanted to just say I had all of these pieces I was putting together, but I wanted to see what they had. So I picked up this stack of papers from the hospital and I started sifting through it. Now, 15 months after you study this day in and day out and are looking at this, you see it differently than you did 15 months ago. And I sometimes liken that to like the first day of the diagnosis is like the day that you enter medical school, like virtual medical school. And you're much better a year later than you were on day one at understanding everything. Um, and also making decisions. So I, uh, I looked at the records and in the very back of the records were these several pages of blood work and some test results from a cardiologist and an internist that William was seeing before his diagnosis. And I knew this, he had high blood pressure, he had a weight issue, and he had some stomach problems that they were attributing to the blood pressure medication. So two, do two really good doctors he was seeing, neither were talking to each other, but they were both doing labs and they were both doing other tests to try to investigate this chronic issue that he had, which turned out to be gastric cancer. And I looked at the data and I flipped through it and I went, oh, oh, I can't believe this. And I could see that there was a trend that his hemoglobin was dropping over this period of two years he was seeing these doctors. Well, he, his tumor was near a major artery and it was, he was losing blood internally for two years before his diagnosis. So that was one clue, not to mention the bloating and the stomach distress and all the fatigue and everything he was having that was being attributed to the, the blood pressure medication that they kept changing. And it was a, that was literally the most devastating moment for me was after he passed was to realize, wait a minute, what would have happened if I would have understood these records before and what would this have changed? So I packed it up and took it to his oncologist, two of them. And I said, I want you to tell me if, if what I see is accurate. I see that the, these values are dropping, liver enzymes are increasing, and here's what the charts look like why didn't he get diagnosed? And they said it happens all the time. This is very normal. There's no oncology expertise in the other disciplines. And so I went, wait a minute, you're right. You go to an oncologist after you get cancer when they're the ones who are more in tune to it. And so basically, yeah. And, and so that's one of the things that we're working on at CureNav is to bring that expertise together in multiple environments where we can look for cancer instead of, you know, having it pop up and saying, oh, it's now obvious that you have it. So we, uh, basically the, the, the rest of the story is the doctor looked at me and said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to change this for somebody else. And so that was, uh, he passed away in December of 2014, was diagnosed in September of 2013. And so I spent the next two years after that going, okay, what? 
what will that be? What, what, is it, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? And I knew it was something with the data. I was also getting phone calls from people who knew about our case saying, you know, my uncle just got diagnosed. My sister just got diagnosed, all different types of cancer. And I would always pick up the phone and go, you do know he died, right? Like, I didn't do anything. So why are you calling me? And what I realized was that because even though my knowledge was limited, it was greater than anyone else they could call and not necessarily greater than their doctor. Although a couple of doctors did say that the specialty, the way I dug in, I knew more about the cancer, that particular type of cancer than they did. The thing was, is that there was no one accessible to them. So you get this few minutes with your doctor and you can make an appointment, um, but you can't get, you don't think of all your questions. They, those come in waves and they come when you're at home and when you're thinking. And so I realized that patients needed someone that was accessible, someone that was knowledgeable and accessible. So the birth of CureNav occurred, like we officially formed as a company last year the first two years I investigated is, will this be a nonprofit? Is there a product here? What would the products be? And then the next two years were investigate research and development. Do we need an app? Do we need a web portal? How will we work with patients? How will they come to us? And then the last year has been about building. So we set about building the tools, the web portal, the mobile app, and we're in the very early stages of that. In fact, we just pushed a release to Apple last night, which is what's called a closed release. Yeah, it was a big moment. They called me actually at 11 o'clock last night and said, do you want to push the button? And I oh. said, it's okay, you guys go ahead. And they're like, no, we oh. think you need to push the button. Mm. So that was a big moment. Wow. And so if you go to the, the app store, you can get the app now, but you can't use it unless you come through CureNav because you have to be authenticated. Wow. And so, um, and we're working on the, the Play Store. We have an Android version, but it's not on the Play Store yet. So, so that's kind of the update there. But that's so exciting. Congratulations, Crystal. Thank you. It was a big moment. And, you know, I like to think that what I was able to do was take a very tragic situation. You know, if I, I say all the time, if I, if you ask me, six years ago, if, you know, he could live or die, and then this beautiful journey that I've been on around working with patients, if I could have that or this, I would have chosen that, mm -hmm. but I would have chosen that he would have lived, but, you know, it's amazing how God takes, you know, ashes and makes beauty out of it, and being able to take his life and make it meaningful and bring value to other people's lives has been, definitely the most rewarding thing of my life and so uh so where we're at now is we're we currently accept donations of records so cancer patients who don't need help and also still other diseases i hate to leave the other diseases out if it, you know if a patient doesn't need help we'll still welcome their records because there's data and value in those records for someone else mm -hmm. and then we currently work with with patients it'll ill people and well people, I guess, we've just kicked that off, um, who want to be more involved in their health and who want a navigator for that journey. So CureNav is about the cure navigator. And so we believe in a world without cancer. We believe that with enough data, there'll be new insights that come to researchers to say, you know, why, why in, in William's case, 
you know, he was of Swiss descent and brown eyes. And I'm just making this up, but why do Swiss guys with brown eyes get esophageal cancer more frequently than, you know, another, another type of person? Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that the research to date has really been around the biology of cancer. It's not been around the presentation and the individual. And records are kept currently for the benefit of the medical professionals not for the benefit of the patient. So all that data going into your portal is about the doctor's record keeping to keep up with what he's doing, but nobody's really doing that from a patient level. And so, you know, that's where I saw the big gap and we came in to fill it and, you know, we just are, are pushing it forward and, you know, it's not without hardship and trials and we're not perfect, but we have actually got been able to help people get diagnosed with chronic diseases by pulling all their records in and then investigating it for, okay, what are the commonalities here? What are the patterns here? Putting that data back into visualizations and sending it over to their doctor and then them being able to eliminate, okay, this is not what's going on because you have this extra thing, adding precision to uh, the patient-doctor interaction and changing outcomes. So I'm super excited about that. <laughs> Crystal, when I found out about you and after we talked, I just like couldn't contain myself. I was so excited and um, I'm just so like so thrilled that that you're doing what you're doing and um, the amazing, like I I I think this is huge. I think every single person on the planet should participate in CureNav. And um, I had mentioned to you, my sister, I think she's um, interested in onboarding with you and I mentioned to a a bunch of other people. And so I hope that um, you have a lot of, (laughs) a lot of people to work with very soon. And I think that you will. Thank you. You know, it's interesting you talk about your sister. One of the things that we did this week is like, I'm starting to see the legacy opportunities. And we do have a patent pending around our processes, by the way, and some of the novelty of how we look. We we look at medical records differently than the medical world. And that doesn't mean that we're giving medical advice. We're certainly not doing that. But we're able to say, you know, isn't it interesting? I, I worked with a patient who had several siblings and several of her siblings had cancer and a couple of them didn't and they were all different types of cancer and I was like there's something here and then we dug deeper into her family history and we found some things in the family history that pointed to the possibility that this was something that was introduced uh, you know when they were in the womb and so we can't confirm that, but we can say, look, here's something else to look at. And then just this week, I was working with a newly diagnosed patient who um, told me in her personal interview that uh, she, her brother had the same type of cancer and passed away five years ago. And I said, oh, well, what's his doctor's name? Well, how do we get the records? And so this is our first participant where we're doing a family history. Mm-hmm. So we actually got in touch with that doctor got the records, summarized his case history, treatments, everything that we know about him, and now we're incorporating that into her decision-making process and her roadmap moving forward, which is incredible insight, right? So you get diagnosed with a certain type of cancer and you, you connect with someone who has that type of cancer, that's a lot of good information. But somebody who has your same genetic profile or a similar one, 
and to know what didn't work and what did work. It's amazing. And so here's the beauty of that. At the end of the day, she gets to hand this down to her children. So she signed a release with us. And one thing we always ask participants is in the event of your death, would you like this record to be passed along to family members? And so family members can then come to us and we're the steward of the record and we provide those insights back to the family. And of course you can do it alive as well, but what a gift for a family who's had to battle cancer to be able to share that knowledge with future family members. So I'm really excited about that. That is so exciting. I'd never even thought of that. Um, or maybe it just, you know, didn't come up, but having a sibling who was diagnosed with the same type of cancer, that's, that is, um, you know, exciting what you could find out from that and learn and, you know, a lot of trouble that you could avoid from getting their information as well. Yeah. And records go away after a period of time. And that's another thing people don't realize is that mm -hmm. some, some yeah. places five years, some places it's seven years, but you know, your records go away and even your own personal records. And so then we can't reach back in time and get those. So it's important to capture them now. And we just took in, I think it was five uh, sets of records for deceased patients who have dis uh, passed away in the last five years mm -hmm. to be able to, their family member said, I want to do this in honor of my family member. And so we go out and we obviously don't have the same processes for that, but we do the records gathering process the same. We go out and get those records, bring them back in, do the summary, and now we've got another profile to work with. Wow. So I, I have to, um, I have to drop off. Um, I'm actually cooking dinner. My name is Andrea, and it's very nice to meet you. I was invited by a fellow advocate who told me about this um, call. So sorry, I didn't mean to crash, but I am just a quick intro. I am a previver. I have a BRCA1 mutation. I work with hereditary cancer support groups, and I have a nonprofit organization called the Light Collective. Um, and I would love to learn a little bit more. I have like this. So my background is um, a a patient advocate, but I also look at like privacy and cybersecurity. Um, and um, I would be interested to talk further about uh, the work that we're doing and. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very glad and excited to hear your story and, and just, you know, I think so many of us as advocates take, you know, a painful experience and, and work to create solutions, right? So um, I just wanted to put myself out there, introduce myself, and, and then I also have to go because I'm cooking tacos and it's taco uh -huh. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so, I gotta go, but very nice to meet you, and, um, and I will reach back out. Okay, great to meet you, too. I'll look forward to that. Okay. Thanks for reaching out, Andrea. Thanks for coming. <laughs> awesome. You have another taker. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, so, um, and I actually, going back to um, the records being eliminated or, or, you know, taken away after a period of time. I was on um, a call last night with young adults with cancer, and there was a gentleman there who was uh, maybe like mid to late 30s, and he had cancer when he was five years old, and uh, he, he said he tried to get medical records from his doctors, and they said they didn't have them anymore. So um, I think that is really important, especially like for childhood cancers too, 
because, you know, hopefully they'll live a long time and outlive that, that time frame. Yeah, and you know, another problem that we're seeing is that if a doctor retires and doesn't mm. sell his practice, then the records disappear. Mm. Um, if a doctor passes away, the records disappear. And so not in every case, but in a lot of cases, and we've had to deal with that a lot. And one of the things at CareNav that we do that's really pretty cool is we do a full medical history with the participant, and then we do a personal interview with the participant. So we're not just gathering the data that's in the medical records, but we're actually taking in your story and all the things you remember about it, and then cross-referencing that to the medical records and building your summary based on that. And that's important, especially like with these deceased patients, their family can tell their story. They may not be able to get to tell us every detail, but they can tell us information that wouldn't be found in their medical record even if someone looked at it. And the other thing that I just wanted to point out is that HIPAA, you know, was intended to, to protect us, um, but it actually harms us in some ways because it prevents that data from being aggregated. So let me give you an example. William went to multiple cancer centers and multiple doctors. And at each doctor's office or cancer center, he was assigned a medical record number. So some long number. And so then those data sets, believe it or not, get sold off for research. And I'm not against that. I think research is great and pharmaceuticals come up with lots of good solutions to symptoms and other problems. But the records get sold off. And so imagine William's records, let's, let's say three places. And it's medical record number one, medical record number two, and medical record number three. They never knew it's the same guy. So researcher gets the data and they have this picture, this piece of his story, and they're building new solutions based on that piece. And over here is another piece of the story. And in the middle is another piece of the story. And there's only one person on this earth who has access to that data of all three pieces, and that's me. So before his death, it was him. And then I became the steward of that data. So if I don't authorize them to communicate, even if, if they even access it, now it's, we're getting to that point where they won't have it anymore. They don't know. They know a guy got diagnosed with stage four esophageal cancer over here. And over here, all they know is he showed up as a chemotherapy patient with side effects. And they're pulling that data, and that's what they're basing the decisions on. And then, of course, clinical trials. So it's not quite that simplified. But if you think about it in that context, we are the stewards of our data, but we're not good stewards because nobody taught us how to be. Mm. And so that's one of the gaps that we fill is saying, you don't have to know how to be a good steward because we are. Mm. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's yeah, I th I think too, um, um, you know, it doctors and hospitals it, it it can they can make it difficult to obtain even your own records. Um, you know, it's I've tried for myself and <laughs> for um, you know family members, and it's like my goodness. With, but with CureNav, it would be, you know, it's it's a breeze. And you, uh, well, I, I do want to ask you um, how what the process is like for someone who's interested in using your services because you actually contact the doctor. I think one of the, <laughs> the greatest things is that all a person has to do 
is, you know, put their appointment on the calendar and then one of you guys um, will reach out to the doctor and actually obtain that information for the person after the appointment. Yes, and so that that calendar feature you're talking about is actually we're supposed to put it into testing July 17th. So right now we're doing it manually, but um, but we do do that. And so in that particular case, like if you were to call our office or text or email us, we have a whole record for you. And so one of the things Andrea was talking about, like cybersecurity and everything. Mm -hmm. We're super retro. So like we use technology, but we use our brains. Like we do it old school and we say, okay, if someone were to hack into where we're storing records, how do we manage that? And so we're not, we're not under the rules of HIPAA from the standpoint of we're not a medical provider, but we follow those rules. So we have encrypted at rest, encrypted in transit, and we go through all of those processes in the technology partners that we work with we assign a business associate agreement with them. But we also go a step further and we give you, a, we call it a patient or participant ID. And so we give you an ID at CureNav that is independent of your name so that we can talk about you and pass emails back and forth around, around you or your records without exposing your identity. So for example, but, but we also say, if you wanna text us and you wanna email us, you're free to do that. And then you're free to give us permission to do that back with you. But so you let us know that you have an appointment or we check in with you and find out that you have an appointment. We then put it on our calendar internally. We actually have a person who does this all every day. And then the next day usually is when we do it. We go, go send a records request to that position. We want to know the progress in notes. We want to know if you have any test results. And then that just goes, gets put into your file. So we're continually updating your record. And this is something we're working on from an automation standpoint, but there's just no good tools out there yet to aggregate a record. So we said, well, why wait? Why not just, just go ahead and request them? And believe it or not, doctors are still, it's 2020 and doctors are still faxing records. Easiest way to get a medical record today. And if you wanted to get it out of a portal, it's incomplete. Oh, and it's so long. <laughs> like yeah. I had someone try to send me her blood work from an appointment and it was, it was what, either 181 or 81 pages and because it had all of them. I was like, oh my gosh, this is impossible. And it's not extractable. So it's, it's very yeah. difficult to get it and put it into some format where you can graph or chart. So a lot of the stuff we have to do manually still because we're still building technology or using, you know, waiting on other people to build pieces of technology. But we say that's just not an obstacle for us. We just get it done. And so we have a team that works on that. So to answer your question about how someone comes to us. So we have a multi-step process that we go through that comes, you know, they say, I'm interested. And then we say, okay, let's do a, a quick call. We do this quick, tell us your story. What is it you think we can help you with? You know, why CureNav? Why do you want to participate with us? And try to find out the individual goals. And so whether they're just bringing a records donation or they're worried that they're going to come out of remission or they just need help and need someone to talk to about their current case, the, the scared, most scared people are obviously the, new, the newly diagnosed. And so we find that they're just like, I just need help. I don't know what I need. I just need some help. So then we go through a process where we set up some calls with, with the participant. 
and we get some releases signed. So you sign a clear enough participant consent form and that consent says we can text you and we can do all these things and either you understand what our mission is. And the reason that we're, we're doing this at no cost is because we're also taking these records and putting them together into a research data set to be identified and that you agree and consent to everything. And then we ask you to sign an authorization to release records. It's usually one form, but sometimes depending on the state and depending on the doctor we're dealing with, sometimes we have a little bit of difficulty, so sometimes we'll have to come back and ask for another form. So you consent, you sign that release, immediately someone starts gathering your records while you're waiting for an, a call with a nurse, which is your medical history call. And they review every system and all the details. And participants tell me all the time, they're like, I totally forgot about this stuff, but the nurse made me remember because of the way she asked questions. So CureNav, we say all the time, the questions we ask determine the answers we get. Mm -hmm. So we ask questions multiple different ways because it piques someone's memory differently. And, and also if you're talking to a doctor, it's, you know, I, I'll just side story here. I asked a doctor one time, okay, what treatment do you think we, William should do? And he said, I think he should do this one. And I said, okay, why? And he said, well, just, you know, it's maybe a little bit milder than this other one and they have about the same results. And I said, okay, if it was you, which one would you do? Mm -hmm. And his answer was, I wouldn't do either one of these. Wow. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. Like, I thought I was getting all the information, right? Mm -hmm. So I took a lesson from that, which is ask the question different ways mm -hmm. and you get more information. So we extract that information from your medical history call which is usually a 30 minute to an hour call with a nurse. So, and you know, she obviously is very familiar with the medical side of it. And we take in a family history and then you get a interview with me, which I haven't been able to turn these over cause I love them so much is the personal interview. And that's where you tell me your story in your own words. And I ask you questions and I ask about your family. And I ask about what your parents did for a living and all sorts of things that don't seem like they're relevant, but that's where some of the greatest insight comes. And I start to see some of these patterns. So then all of this goes over to a nurse who summarizes the, hit, the calls, the, uh, the medical records that we get in, and she puts it into a two to three page summary usually. Your entire life, like everything we can gather you know, you had this procedure, you got this diagnosis, and people are always interested, like, I didn't know that the doctor, I had that diagnosis, because they'll be, especially older people, they'll have this long list, mm -hmm. so you get, so there's a medical summary process, and some people don't need it or want it, but it can be very helpful if you're going to a new doctor, to have that condensed record, essentially, okay. and then it, we're now at the stage where it's app onboarding time, and so what we're doing right now is working, preloading, especially for active patients who are getting chemotherapy, a set of symptoms based on their medical history call and their symptoms that they tell us. We preload those into the app and then you have the app on your phone to be able to, it's a slide and rate situation. You slide and rate, I'm, you know, you don't have to know the numbers, but it's like green is good, red is bad. You slide green, red. And then we're getting a numerical value behind the scenes and then taking that and charting it. And those are the reports that are super cool because we can actually, you, you let us know when your doctor's appointment is and you're using the app. We actually get those reports over to your doctor ahead of your appointment. So, and we work 
some patients are super intensive work that way and some are just like just send it if it's bad just send it if there's a change so um that's how we're currently working with patients in the meantime my other hat is i run the development team and we're building all the new technology like the where in july hopefully you will be able to put your appointment into the calendar in CureNav, and you'll be able to keep it as your own appointment schedule or not scheduler but you'll have it there and we'll see it on the other side and then we're adding in we've got a home health company that i've been talking to who is providing caregiver services and has a set of clients and they're wanting they're wanting the clients want the parents to be picked up to take to get their hair done and driven to a doctor's appointment and so we're looking at using working together through CureNav to do that where the home health can log in from a portal and see all of their clients and then we've got another group in Arizona who has been talking to us about using it for wellness with their clients so think of the app as like the capture tool that the patient carries around to say hey this is what's going on with me or I took a run today or you know I'm having a headache and the web portal side as the pushing out the data so um, so anyway we're like I said, we're not perfect, and sometimes we fall down, but we we have um, a, the number of participants we're working with, and I've seen some really good results, and we try to meet people where they're at. So we say, what's most important to you? Because if what's most important to you is the app, then we're not gonna focus so heavily on the summary. But if the summary is more important, we'll focus on that. Eventually, we'll get to all of it, but in those early days, especially with new participants, it's like we want to focus on what's important to them. That's beautiful. I love it. And I, um, yeah, as you were talking about the home health aides, I was also thinking about how um, sometimes people want or need support from like family or friends. And um, you, you may have heard of, um, oh, I don't lots of helping hands.com it's where um, like you can create a calendar of needs that you have like let's say you need someone to do your grocery shopping for you or to make juice for you or to um, do laundry for you uh, you can put all these things on a calendar and then people can actually sign up to to perform those tasks tasks for you um, and so I thought I don't know if that's something that <laughs> that might be something outside of CureNav, but maybe it would be inside. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So my my goal is to be able to be a platform mm -hmm. where all of the great tools that exist can either have a feature on CureNav or be plugins to CureNav. And so we're a little ways away from that, but you know, I just so we have this super high level goal, and I'll just share it with you: is make yeah. the world world's medical data accessible to everyone. And there are many different ways we can do that. And then in the between, we create these features that make life better. So our, our goal is to make your life better and make we'll make everyone's life better. And for people to not have to go through what we went through, which is like the worst case scenario, right? And we have all different variations of that. And so Things like that are, you know, would be really cool to work with someone like that and, and have the needs met. And that's really what we're all about. Um, we are, uh, 
looking forward to the day when we would be able to take this data and train artificial intelligence mm -hmm. to predict who will get cancer. So we'll be able to say, you and I talked a little bit about this, we're both fair skinned. It's like, okay, Crystal, you're fair skinned, you have blue eyes, you're five foot four, and you know, you're at this age where in our database, we can see that this creeps up on women in this scenario. Wow. And I think I also mentioned to you with my breast cancer participants, 100% of them have reported a trauma in the three to five years prior to their diagnosis. There's something there. There's something, you know, if you think about an emotional event like the loss of my husband and, and the cancer diagnosis, there was intense stress and trauma in my life at that time. Well, our bodies are designed to respond to that. So we produce more hormones and we, you know, we have all of these changes that occur and we're not obviously measuring that all the time. And then we show up with a disease process later. And if you think about just the word disease, you know, the dis-ease and so, and the stress that comes from all that. So I believe that there's a lot of insight out there that hasn't been validated because the, the way that data is captured in your medical record is just disregarding that. Like how many times have you been to the doctor, especially in the traditional health system where they've just sat down and really written down and structured in a database, everything that you told them. Right. You know, um, <laughs> It's funny. Um, I mean, I, I know that doctors, because um, I've I've seen in my own records, they make they make notes um, usually like after you've left, and you know you see them in the little cubicle on your way out um, taking notes. But I I remember because um, after I was I went into remission, uh, my doctor it during the appointment was taking notes, and I was like, that is so strange. Like he never takes notes. So I, I guess I realized from that that time that you know during the appointment they they don't take the notes for the most part except for um you know I, I i definitely remember one of my surgeons taking notes while i was there but i think for the most part um it's not really happening that way it's up to what they what works for them essentially mm -hmm. and so as patients we don't notice this right so we just go oh who did my insurance cover mm -hmm. and you know we don't really think about you know what is their specialty? What is their personality? Bedside manner, I think, is so important. And it, it should match the patient because this is your partner in your health, but we don't think about those things. Mm -hmm. And we don't think about the fact that, you know, I, I did a, I'll tell you a quick story. I had an oncologist who called me and said, I know this is going to be a weird question. This is someone I worked, I've worked with a lot. She said, I know this is going to be a weird question for you, but I have a, a health problem that I'm worried is cancer. And she said, I was wondering if you could help me pick a surgeon. And mm -hmm. I said, but you're the oncologist. And she said, I know, and I work with them all the time. She said, but I just don't see it the same way you do. So I would like when I go into surgery, and she knew she was going into surgery, if they find cancer, there are certain things I would like to happen at that point. And she said, I just need help. I need your help evaluating the, the doctors available to me. And I want you to tell me who you would choose. Wow. So I built a spreadsheet for these. She gave me the names of the doctors and I built a spreadsheet and I investigated their education, their experience, mm. you know, how long they've been practicing. Um, as well as their personalities and their health grades and all of the available re reviews that were out there. And then I, get, I 
applied a scoring system to it. And I said, okay, what's most important to you? Expertise, education, you know, bedside manner. And so she gave me some information and I, I said, okay, I'm going to weigh these heavier, these things that are more important to you. And then I just scored them. And I came back and I said, here's your answer. And it was just the highest score. And it was simple. I do this a lot with diseases too. When people are dealing with like autoimmune and unspecified diseases. And I'll say, well, what do your doctors think? And they'll give me a couple of ideas and I'll do a little research. And then I'll score based on their list of symptoms and how often they present against the list of symptoms in the disease. And then I'll say, you know, obviously I'm not a doctor, but this, this one is, is getting more scores. So you, I would go to your doctor and rule this one out. Wow. And so in that, by the way, we helped a patient get diagnosed with Lyme disease that way using that symptom score sheet. So those are not services we offer at CareNav to everyone, but when the need presents, I'll, I'll go back and say, okay, how do we reverse engineer this? We're trying to get this result. We want to know that you don't have cancer. So what do we need to do to figure that out? And um, we figure that at some point, probably, you know, probably be a little while, but that the set processes will show up and say, this is what's working in 80% of the people. And, um, and we believe that the data, the data and the people are going to tell us the direction to go. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> One of my questions that I wanted to ask you was about, um, you know, people such as the person diagnosed with Lyme. You have already had people um, find out diagnoses from the work that you're doing before their doctor did. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So, like I said, when we, we look at the data differently, so it's not, we're not looking at it saying I'm a, you know, for example, I'm a pulmonologist. I'm not, <laughs> but mm. you know, they're specialized in looking at the lungs, right? And they're used to looking at the lungs. So they're, you know, they can go, okay, healthy, not healthy, but they may not be able to see the rest of what's going on. Cause that's not their area of specialty. And as we've talked about, they have a limited amount of time, you know, they're, and I'm, don't mean to minimize it, but I mean, they're selling their time to you when they're in the office with you. They only have 24 hours in a day like the rest of us. So what we do is we look for patterns. We forget about what disease and we forget about, you know, all of the, the medical details Though we're working with medical details. And we say, what are the patterns here? So we know, for example, we have a participant who had a bad fall at a young age and then has some autoimmune issues. We don't know that those two things are connected, but we know that certain things showed up after that fall. And so we look at that and we say, what else can that tell us? Um, so in the cases of the participants, we've either had diagnosed or in the process of ruling, eliminating um, possible diseases, really it just comes down to the patterns. I mean, and again, that personal interview, I, I think I mentioned to you, I had um, a young lady who has a lot of health issues and she's from um, Brazil. And she, in her personal interview, she told me her father had uh, a disease that he died of that was a, a Chagas disease, the kissing bug. And she, and so at the time that she started getting ill, they looked at, you know, oh, well, you can't pass it from father to, to fetus. But in all these years that have passed, guess what they found out? They found out that you can pass it 
from, from husband to wife, and you can also pass it genetically, and you can also pass it, um, mom could be a carrier without having the symptoms and pass it to embryo. And guess what? Her symptoms match. Wow. So everything, and I'm not saying she has that. She's currently looking at that as a possibility, but the way that we do it is we just look at it differently. We look for the patterns instead of looking at this point in time of what's your problem today and what, you know, what prescription can we give you or what test can we run? And I'll give you a great example. So I wrote, and I think, uh, we think, and, um, and I waited a few days to go to urgent care. And um, they, when I went in and they did the x-ray and they said, you know, the radiologist is saying the x-ray is negative, but we see something. The doctor said, we see something we think is a break. So we're going to splint you and send you to an orthopedic. And um, they asked me about the details of the event that happened, that, you know, what happened? Did you fall? Did you land on your hand? No, nothing happened. I was pulling a plant up and the plant broke and I slammed my hand against a root of a, a bush. So, but it was interesting how, so I went, finally went to the orthopedic and they said, well, we think it's an, a break in another bone, another x-ray. Now I'm going for a CT scan, but they think it's a break in another bone. Like these are two medical doctors. One's an orthopedic, one's not. And they're both looking at, it's gotta be something with the bone. Right. And in the meantime, I do my own research and there's a condition that is related to getting um, hit, uh, punctured by thorns that can cause inflammation and joint, a joint problem. And I don't, I'm not saying that this is what it is, but unless somebody knows that that's out there and looks at it that way, they're not going to, they're not going to ever see that. Right. Wow. So that's where CureNav comes into play and says, we're not judging whether it's the bush you hit or it's this other disease that it could be. We're just simply saying, what does the data say? You know, <sighs> x-rays are negative or x-rays are positive, or are you having other issues? Or is the swelling going down? And then we turn that around and say, here's the questions we would ask your doctor if we were you. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought to think of, um, well, of course you would, <laughs> to, to research, you know, the, the actual plant that you hit your hand on. Like that's, that's um, extraordinary. <laughs> well, actually, I can't take credit for that because it was my niece who drove, I couldn't drive, so she drove me to urgent care, and she was asking me what happened, and while I was in getting the x-ray, and then I came back out, she said, hey, you know, did you know there's this? And I'm like, no, tell me more, and so then I started researching it further, but I thought it must run in the family. She said, it's amazing what you can find based on how you phrase the questions, and that goes back to what I was saying. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but are we, I like, I like my work because patients and we call them participants, but we're all patients have a life to live and that life should not be lived worrying about whether or not you're worrying enough mm -hmm. about what your doctor is or isn't doing. So we step in and become the worriers mm -hmm. for you and then say, you don't need to think about it. Go enjoy your family. Go enjoy your friends. That's what life is all about. Mm -hmm. And we will worry about it. We'll stay up all night. And then we'll turn around and tell you what we think. And then you can get on with the business of living. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks.
Of course. Um, so you've talked about trends, like that's the major thing that you're looking for. I was wondering if there's anything, um, any like particular lab value or um, anything in particular for people to look out for who are concerned about cancer? I would say there's no one thing, um, definitely. And of course, in solid tumors, there's a tumor markers. And so those get followed a lot. And usually that happens after a diagnosis. So are you, are you thinking before you, before someone gets diagnosed, like yeah. what would be a sign? Yeah, from your perspective. So, so what I would say is anything that is changing steadily, or dramatically. It doesn't have to be dramatically though. Like if we go back to William's case, right. his values were changing within range. So if you've ever looked right. at a lab report, you know, you get the standard range. So a bunch of stuff most people don't know and I didn't know and still don't know a lot of it. You've got this acronym, you have a your value, and then you have a range. And the traditional approach has been, here's my value, here's the range, it's within, move on. Yeah. But changes within that range it doesn't have to be outside the range for changes to be occurring and so if there are changes happening and, and obviously changes happen as we age i mean that's normal you know there's that's values that go, go down and go up and that's why we see more disease in elderly people and we even see more cancer in elderly people but but we're talking about just a year of change or two years of change Change is something you need to, you need to address. It doesn't always mean cancer, um, and I don't think that there's any way to say, you know, if your your hemoglobin is dropping, you have cancer. It doesn't necessarily mean that. You could have an ulcer, but if your hemoglobin is dropping and changing over three or four lab results over 12 to 24 months, there's something going on. It could be a disease process. It could be a genetic issue. It could be, you know. Could be anything you could have an injury but in William's case that particular value was something I wish I had followed more your white blood count right it rises it falls when we're sick it increases because our immune systems are coming in to try to fix the problem and that's doctors look at that all the time to go oh you have an infection because they're looking at the rise this sharp rise of that number but a slow rise of that number has to be investigated too. And sometimes what we see is patients present with blood cancers who had a change in numbers over time, but no, they didn't know to look for it. And nobody was really monitoring that. So unless you go to the same doctor every time, all the time, same lab, your data is going to be scattered. And by the way, I don't recommend that because I think taking the approach of multiple perspectives brings you more information mm. so no, there's no one thing but it's being aware of where you're at so establishing a baseline and i tell young people this all the time let's get your baseline like it doesn't matter if it's good or bad where are you today and then let's look at where you are tomorrow or next week or a year from now that's where the most valuable data exists mm. which is why it's important to have it all in one place yeah that's that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I think we've covered pretty much everything that I wanted to go through. But is there anything else that you that you want to share with people? Um, I just not really, other than just to say that 
you know, my dream is a world without cancer, or at least where we can manage it without anyone having to succumb to it. Um, and also one of the exciting things that I'm looking forward to in the next year is the community within CureNav. So I know that you do a lot of work with cancer patients and there are all kinds of forums where you can go and answer questions and read and, you know, ask questions. But what I'm really excited about is like all of our participants someday being able to be live within a forum in CureNav with their profile where you know, we don't, we won't reveal identity. You guys can do that amongst each other if you want to, but we're saying there's somebody like me. And I find that that community and that unity, uh, you know, William used to joke, he's like, I'm in the cancer club. And I was like, I'm going to start a cancer club someday, but I just don't Aww. like the word cancer. Mm. I don't like that word that much. And, but <laughs> I mean, it's true. We, we went, like I said, we went all over the U S and it didn't stop us from enjoying our lives and we were looking for answers to cancer, but we'd have these little vacations within that. So he would get his infusions at different, at different chemotherapy or infusion centers across the U S. And when you walk in that room, it's like everybody sitting in those chairs, you're already bonded with, and there's community within cancer. That's really, that was one of the blessings is that like, it just, life is, different in the cancer community because those people experiencing that whether actually themselves or a family member value life more and the important things in life and the relationships and so you know I just say that I'm really looking forward to when we can get to the phase where we can build that community into the work that we're doing so you could say for example Bailey yeah sure write my story have my summary out there and that way someone else who's experienced what you're experiencing, what you've gone through can say, Hey, I'm a newbie. Can you walk with me here? And you can tell them everything, you know, it's about shared knowledge. So, um, that's really all. It's just that I think that this is going to, this has its own organic, it has, it's a life outside of me, which is what I dreamed of is it's organic growth. And I'm looking forward to the, the, patients telling me what they need that's beautiful i love it it's um god's plans for us are always bigger than <laughs> what we um, intended for ourselves <laughs> yeah and i was not equipped for this let me add that and i'm like i'm not the one <laughs> like yes you are and i'm like no i'm not I don't know to do this you know like i could tell you a thousand reasons why and then i realized you know Every good Bible story, maybe every Bible story, but every good Bible story is about somebody who you thought there is no way this person is going to pull this off. And then you go, whoa, but for God. And that this is absolutely a calling for me. It is my life's calling. It's not what I would have chosen. I would have certainly enjoyed many other things, but you're right. And, and he who he calls, he equips. So. Amen. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, I actually, um, I was going to ask you this because we already touched on it a little bit, but I think, um, you know, pointing this question out would be helpful for people. How would you have managed William's cancer differently if you had known back then what you know now? Or, or even pre-diagnosis, like, you know, how would, how would you have handled things differently? 
Oh my goodness. First of all, I don't think he ever would have progressed past stage one. That would have never happened if I had known then what I know now. I, I don't beat myself up over the fact that I didn't know what I didn't know, but I definitely, you know, don't, I questioned for a long time why couldn't why couldn't I've known this before? Um, he had a condition called Barrett's esophagus that was present for many years before his diagnosis, and we didn't know that until after he got the cancer diagnosis because he wasn't old enough to go through all of this test to check and see if he was okay, you know, the the preemptive or uh, preventative tests. And so, what we know now is that if you have Barrett's esophagus you're more likely to get esophageal cancer. So if we could have just known that, he would have undergone screening. And another quick story, uh, about three months after he passed, my, I was having dinner with my dad, and at the end of the dinner, he said to my mom, where's the Rolaids? And I went, what, what, who's taking Rolaids and why? Because I pattern, I know, you know, I never really thought about it before. We didn't talk about this in William's cancer case, but William was taking Rolaids all the time. So wow. can't say you take roids all the time that you have cancer, but what we can right. say is there's a pattern and mm -hmm. we need to address this pattern because that's not normal. And so anyway, I said, you're going to the oncologist. And my dad's like, what? I don't have cancer. And I said, you're going to the oncologist. I don't care if I have to pay for it. I'm not going through this again. And I had a form of PTSD. So I made my dad an appointment with an oncologist. Most people don't know you can do that too. If you don't have cancer, you can just make yourself an appointment at the oncologist and your insurance will typically cover it. Wow. And yes. And you can say, I'm concerned. Here's all my concerns. And they can actually put you through testing or whatever to rule that out. Mm -hmm. And so my dad went into the oncologist and I said, this is what I'm concerned about. This is not normal. She made a referral to a gastroenterologist. They saw my dad. They said, yep, it's not normal. Let's do a scope. Uh, scope, if you pay out of pocket, the average cost all in is $2,800. Insurance usually covers it, especially it covers it if there's a problem. That's the test that William could have had. We had $2,800. He could have had that test, been diagnosed with this pre, it's not pre-cancer, but this condition that precedes cancer in many cases, and he could have been monitored annually for the rest of his life. And then the minute the tiny little tumor showed up, only 12 months would have passed between tests, so it wouldn't have had time to grow into this aggressive cancer that overtook his body. So what I would have done differently is I would have been more engaged in his health, and he'd still be here. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever he would still be here. Well, I'm so sorry it took... Um you know, all that suffering and what you guys went through to, um, you know, get to this, this place, but I'm so grateful for what you are doing and what God is doing through you and, um, all, all of the people who are going to impact. I, <laughs> I see millions, Crystal, um, in your future and, um, I'm just so thankful for you and, and your passion. And I, I just get excited every time I think about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, before I open up for Q&A, how can people be praying for you? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, 
uh, we talked about this previously, like I just have such a hard time, I'm here to serve, so I have a hard time saying I need something, <laughs> but um, clarity, you know, I, I sh in the beginning I struggled a little bit with, wait a minute, this, you know, I thought your purpose was like something you could, could get excited about, this was something I was angry about in the beginning, um, clarity uh, for me to be able to hear God's voice and, um, you know, we don't charge for our services and actually some of our investors and we've gotten some, some investments, which has been really cool. I've said, when are you going to start charging? When are you going to build revenue? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I can't charge the people who need this. We need to figure out another way. There has to be another way. So we're, <clears throat> we're currently looking at the possibility of like, would a nonprofit want to take in funds from people like I would donate in William's honor to sponsor someone who's going through the battle or worried about the cancer coming back. Um, so I guess that's probably my biggest need is to figure out as a, you know, there's the work that we do, which is my work and my calling. And then there's the company that we have, which has to have revenues to survive. And so that's the next big hurdle that I have to cross is, you know, how do we, how do we create, the revenues so that we can serve more patients. So that was what I would ask is he will be praying for that, that path to open up and become very clear. Amen. I will be praying for that <laughs> for you. And I'm sure others will be also. Um, so how can people find you? CureNav.com? Yes, CureNav.com. And they, there's a little... At the end, there's a place you can contact um, or you can say that you want to participate as a pilot participant um, in that little contact area. That's the easiest way. And actually, those emails still come to my inbox. So I'm the one who looks for those and filters them out to the team. So used to be that I was the first contact for everything. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I'm not able to do that. So um Someone on the team then follows up, and then eventually along the way we get to meet. And so, awesome. Curenav.com. Yay. <laughs> All right, wonderful. So we'll, we will open it up for Q&A now. So if you have a question, uh, please unmute yourself. Uh, Jill has a question. Go ahead, Jill. I'm so excited. Um, thank you, um, Bailey, for sending me that email to invite me for tonight um and when i saw what you wrote about what crystal was doing i was like so excited because um so i am a cancer writer right now still been diagnosed more than five years ago but two years prior to me being diagnosed i had an uncle who had um cancer also and um i you know with my aunt took him to um several facilities and what i noticed was that every time um, we took him to a doctor or a place. They asked about all this history like you were talking about earlier. And because they don't all share their records. And even when they had the paper records, they don't really um, spend time prior to meeting the patient reviewing all these documents. So I noticed that as I was, you know, doing this with my uncle. So fast forward two years later, I got diagnosed. And I'm like, okay, we're not doing that, okay? Because I, I remember finding myself 
retelling my uncle's story to every other doctor that we saw because my aunt was just, I can't think anymore. She's very emotionally drained at that point. My uncle was dying. Do you expect someone, you know, to remember all these history, you know, whenever you go to a different facility, right? right. So I had actually started journaling for them. So when it came to my, my time, I did, I have a journal. I have a journal. So in my journal, and this is one of the reasons I'm excited about, is that, um, so they started a lot of blood work. And so, so all the ones that were flagged for me, I, I kind of wrote down on my journal. And so I, I wrote like what the test was, what my result was, and how it was flagged, high, low, whatever, just the simple things that could help me kind of understand what's wrong, right? Because they flagged it for a reason. And then when I go see the doctor, um, it's like, it's too low, it's too high. And then, and I have taken note of why, like for one thing for me, it's, he said, the doctor said, that's too low for you. And I said, well, what's my goal then? So I put a note that says, okay, that's my goal. But the report, like the lab core report says it's normal. So why would you say I'm low? And why is my goal different from that range, right? So I had all these questions. And so it's funny, one of the things I was excited about hearing you, Crystal, today is that I love spreadsheet. I love Excel. I did everything on a spreadsheet. When I was given supplements to take, I had a spreadsheet that tells me what I take upon rising, <laughs> you know, half an hour before meal, in between meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, before um, going to bed. I had that in a spreadsheet. And, and, you know, in the beginning, you see all these doctors, surgical oncologists, medical oncologists, radiological oncologists, patient, whatever, whatever. And so I had all these imaging scans, blood work that I um, at first carried around on papers. I was like you. I was carrying this big bag of documents and then, I mean, I got smarter a little bit, so I carried around this. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I had all my reports are in here. And so I, I started offering, like whenever I see a new doctor, I would offer, here's my data. You know, here's my, because they say something, like, oh, it's not on the system. I'm like, even though sometimes it's the same hospital, just different branch, for some reason, it doesn't show on the their system right so i said here if you just plug it into your monitor you can see my blood work or the, the ct scan or whatever um but a lot of times still not all doctors are they're not going to do that for me not all of them will do that um some of them will oh good plug it in some of them are like mm, you know not gonna do that or like, especially with imaging. So I'm like, okay, that was a dead end. So that was no use. Um, at the same time, so my husband is very techie. So he's the one with the iPad. He walks around with the iPad and he actually would, while I'm talking to the doctor, he would actually open that file on his iPad and would show the doctor, here's the report, here's the image. So it was like, why do we have to do that? I thought you guys did that. And so I've actually, and, and there was so much blood work. Every three months, there was some blood work. 
And there was a time when I was actually, um, my hemoglobin was going down and I noticed the trend because I was, remember, I was charting this and I liked Excel. I actually had, I haven't done it completely, but I have a spreadsheet of my medical history, like the date, what happened, whatever, whatever. I have that all in a spreadsheet. And then I'm, I also started a, a worksheet on Excel that would have the date of, just for blood work, because it's the most um, I mean, um, thing that I did very often. So I had the date, the lab, the test, the result, the, the flag was what the normal range is and what my goal is. So to me, that's working on a goal. So I was really, really getting excited when uh, Crystal was talking about all these medical records in one place, right? Maybe I don't have to do this anymore. Or um, maybe, I, maybe I'll just have the app, which I opened up <laughs> with mm -hmm. PureNav um, to kind of show. I think it's more, it looks more legit <laughs> if, you, if I had it on app. So that's why I'm getting excited for you and for the other patients who's going to use this versus giving them this. Yes. Right. So right now on the app, just so you know, it's just an observation tracker. So it's a way for you to keep track of, you know, how you're feeling and your stress levels and your vitals. But as we build, we're rolling out features literally every two weeks for testing. So as I listen, I'm listening for what are the most important features and I'm saying move that one up, move that one forward, you know. So I, I really appreciate what you're saying because it's surprising. Lots of people who haven't gone through the can cancer experience will say, like, nobody does. You're unique. You did all this stuff. Nobody does that. And I'm like, no, you'll be surprised how many cancer patients or their caregivers, their loved ones, are doing that. We're all, like, reinventing the wheel over and over again. Exactly. We all things. Yeah, yeah, so why, right? And and I'm so glad you're doing this. And I honestly think God called you to do that, too. Um, and I'll be one of, you know, I can log in there and just give you all my records if you need to practice with, you know, oh, another yes. cancer patient. I would totally do that because um, I have we no. We should hire you. We're <laughs> <laughs> not quite ready to hire any more people now, but we stopped up with 10 people. I just started hiring in January. And then coronavirus came and like we literally, everybody started working staggered they started working together and when the last guy came on the team i think it was two days later texas shut down and so we've all been working from home so it's been really really strange but we're not quite ready to hire anybody else but we would love to work with your records and work with you and then you'd be the perfect person though to tell us okay this is what we need to do next are you in texas i am oh i am in houston Oh, I'm in Houston too. Oh, I'm I'm actually north of Houston, but our office is in, our shutdown office is in Houston because we had two employees who tested positive for COVID nineteen. So we just said, okay, back to home. So that's how we are now. But yeah, oh, we should definitely connect. Okay, awesome, great. And and my question would be for like general stuff for everybody. So uh, when you said you gather data, what data are you gathering? Because I one of the places that I went to. Um, that doctor closed down his clinic completely. And they gave us an opportunity, they actually emailed us where to find, where they transferred. Um, but there was a time limit and I kind of missed that. 
But then again, when I look back, I did have all my records <laughs> anyway, because I had started doing that right from the start. But yeah, so what kind of um, data do you gather? And in your app, since I haven't used it yet, will um, participants be able to input their own data? And will and this, this data, uh, can these include imaging, um, procedures done, surgeries? and stuff like that. And actually, I was going to suggest maybe for funding, you could sell the app, even if it's 99 cents. Or like, you know, game people pay for game apps. Why wouldn't they pay for this medical report database? You know, I would pay, you know, for that app so that I don't have to do this. I can have this live. You know what I'm saying? Um, yes. That's the suggestion for you. Anyway, so. So. Yeah, that's the struggle I've had is making people pay for it. It's like, you know, how do you take God's calling and ask people to pay for it? Which I told Bailey when I talked to her the other day, I was like, I need some help with this because you know, there's value. But at the same time, like my heart just goes out to the patients and I say anything I can, you know, I have a heart of service, anything I can do to help. And, you know, I feel like that answer is yet to come, but that it's coming. And so... I'll pray for you on that one. Thank you very much. Um, so let me see if I didn't write down your questions okay. in my hand, so I might need you to repeat them. But um, the so what data? So different from the medical world, what you see in the medical world is they're looking for specific data, right? Like whether they're sending you for a test for a specific to get an answer, or they're recording information in your health profile. They're, they they have their idea about what's important. At CureNav, we say we take the opposite approach. We gather everything, everything we can get our hands on, your personal story, your medical records. We'll go through, the nurse will go through like a health history with you, and you'll give her every name of every doctor you've ever seen in so much as you can remember. I have that on my spreadsheet. <laughs> Yes, that would be, that'd be beautiful. And, um, and then we'll reach out to every single one of those doctors. We will send a release and ask for all of your records. And so then we bring it back in. If you think about it from an, uh, an analogy perspective, is like imagine going out and getting everything you can get and bringing it in and putting it on a table and then sorting it and saying, okay, this came from here. We, we categorize it and say this is where it came from. And then we start extracting and putting structure to it. So, awesome. for example, if you have one doctor who, so I've had two children, right? So one doctor would say that I've had two children, and that's in one record. But no, it's not, even though you write it on the form when you go to the orthopedic, right? Yeah. yeah. They, don't, they don't do that. They scan that PDF. They don't, they don't really care. I don't and know. And they ask they, you all over again. All over again. And so... So over here, you've got information about me having children, and over here, you have information about a broken bone, and you only get that because we go to every doctor and say, give me everything you have. We don't get rid of anything, but we focus first on, let's get a list of procedures. Let's get a list of conditions. Let's get what's going on with this person, get kind of the general summary put together, and then we start extracting lab values. So we're just in the very early phases of this because it's heavy on the manpower side where we say, we look at all the blood work from all the different places and we create a value for, or not a value, but 
data entry for each um, each each piece of blood work so that we can then present you with charts and historical charts and graphs about you like where you were in the past where you are now that part of it is the is the, we're at the earliest phase we have some technology that can do that for us more in a more automated way including like the apple health kit that's aggregating medical records but the technology is is just coming along so we are um I don't know if my screen went blank, if you guys can still hear me. So, uh, okay, good. So the technology is just coming along where um, we're gonna be able to do that from an automated perspective. There's been some government programs actually that come up with software to do that, but no one's quite figured out how you get all this different data electronically from these different locations. So we do that manually. So in terms of what do we collect? Everything. We store it and kind of set it aside as like an archive. And like if you said, hey, Crystal, do you have my information from Dr. Smith from five years ago? We'd say, yep, it's right here. Do you need it or want it? So we kind of, again, become the steward. We're like your flash drive. We're sitting right here with us. In the future on the app, you'll be able to pull it directly through your phone. And you'll be able to push it to us directly through your phone as There you well. go, yeah. So you could take a photo and we've already started these features where you're you've got the lab report right there you take a photo and you upload it yeah you have it and you have it and so if something happens to your phone we're still we still have it like so, a cloud yeah, yeah like a, it basically your your health cloud yeah and yeah. then on the app side the current current configuration you're also putting in daily like so we do these daily check-ins with our participants. So you, the way we work with people in the test phase is you'll get a text message and, or a certain number of text messages a day and it says time to check in and rate your observations. So then you open your app and you say, here's my stress level, here's my energy level, here's my mood level and um, stress, energy, mood and anxiety. That's your check-in. And we encourage people to do that a few times a day. And then you have a list of custom observations that you can add to, you can take away from, but based on whatever you tell us is going on with you, you go in and you rate those. And then you say, ah, today I have a headache. I'm gonna add that. And so all that data is going back up to your CureNav profile. And that's where we're creating visualizations from today. So does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, because that's more, it's actually more comprehensive than like you said when you know like i just did a sleep study and so the result of that test that they did for me um basically answers you know one thing but mm -hmm. they did not really take in consideration what was i thinking was i stressed about something that's why i couldn't sleep you know and therefore the sleep study shows deprivation you know mm -hmm. but um but what you're talking about will actually um give a whole a better picture of you know because you because i checked in with you and i told you i'm having a headache and my mood is whatever crappy today you know that that actually gives a better picture for the whole yeah, yeah yeah for a doctor to see or to consider why such and such came up today what patterns are there and so yeah. one Thing, I'll just throw out there that I don't really talk about that much. There's a lot of things I'm exploring that we don't c 
commit to doing, but one of the, I have all of William's emails. So William was an executive and he was under a lot of stress. So I've, I have 44,000 emails that I stored to an archive and I have his health record. And so I've got a company in, um, well, overseas that is uh, working with corporations analyzing emails for sentiment analysis. So they sell their software to corporations to say, how's the company morale? Like what's the attitude in the company or in a sales department or sales are going down, they can analyze these group emails. So I've spoken with them and they've agreed to take William's 44,000 emails and tell me back what the sentiment analysis is at oh, any wow. periods of time across his email, right? Wow. So this, while he was well and while he was sick. And, and only I know the dates of when he was diagnosed and when he was actually, his medical records started changing. So I'm gonna take that data and overlay it. So I'm mapping out his medical data and then I'm having them map out his emails. And I'm gonna say, see if they could predict from his emails, the points where cancer started growing and where progression occurred. Interesting. So that's the kind of innovative things at CureNav that are far in the future, but that we're working on saying there's much more to work with here than, than what we're currently doing. And another example of that is your credit card data. Target came out a while back. Sorry, the dog came in. Target came out a while back with, she's very excited, so her tail is hitting the furniture. Target came out a while back with the, or I'm sorry, the news that there was a young lady who was pregnant and her she could start getting mail from Target saying here's some baby coupons and baby formula I don't remember exactly what it was and the father got mad um, and said you know why are you sending my 17 or 18 year old daughter you know coupons like pregnant women and turns out her purchasing patterns showed the same as pregnant women it turns out she was pregnant at least as I was told by the person who told me about the article, that was in, a, in that's our purchasing data. So imagine if you took your purchasing data and if we look forward into, uh, forward into future generations and we say, we know you have cancer and we, you have a purchasing pattern and you have an email pattern and we're not looking at any of that and we bring it all together in one place and then you have children or grandchildren or great grandchildren and their patterns start to look like yours, could we actually predict that there's cancer there or any other disease before it would be recognized in the medical system because of all these patterns put together in a single system aligned with a record of known information. Mm -hmm. So I get super excited about those things. Of course, I'll be working on this till I'm 95. And so I have a few years left to get that part right. But <laughs> Anyway, do you have another question? Uh, well, you kind of answered it already because I said, can it include, you know, surgeries, procedures like that? And so that would be in it since you capture everything um, that, you know, that you would get from any medical office, basically. Um, but yeah, so um, I'm sure I will come up with many other questions later, but I'm very, very excited for you. Um, thank you for doing what you're doing. And unfortunately, you know, your husband's not there, but then I think that may be the gift for us. Um, if it's not for you, I'm so sorry, but 
Um, I think sometimes God works that way for the benefit of many, you know, um, but we will pray for you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And you know what? I'm okay with that. And I, every day that I get up and I get to do this work and it is a privilege for me to be able to do this. I think about, you know, would he, if I had, if someone had asked him, if you gave, would you give your life yeah. for, for many, many others to live? He would have been a, in a heartbeat. And so I feel good about it. And thankfully I didn't get asked because we wouldn't be sitting here today, but, but I feel really good about that. And I think you're right. This is the gift of his life having a, a meaning that I get to carry on and help many people. And I've, I've, there's several people in my family also I've been able to help. I have a four-year-old granddaughter and she has some chronic illnesses and we were able to do a deep dive into her health and even take that, the summary that I've talked to you about, um, one of the values of it is if you've got a really a problem, an urgent problem, and you take that summary and you present that to a doctor, they can come up to speed really quickly. In a lot of cases, you can get your appointment faster because they're waiting. You know, if you go into and see a new specialist, they wait for your records. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We had cases where, in my granddaughter's case even, where we prepared the summary and sent the summary and got a call back the same day for an yeah. appointment. Yep, that's, that's exactly why I carry this around so I don't have to wait for one clinic to, to forward something to another clinic. As soon as I'm out at one clinic, I ask for the record. I save it. So if I have to make an appointment with another one, I have them all. I don't have to call back. So. That's really great. That's brilliant. And we need to, I mean, it's that kind of stuff, that kind of ingenuity that we have to bring to other patients because there are people who are suffering and, and losing the battle because they don't, they're either too sick to do that for themselves. Yes. You can help them. The greatest piece of advice I got when William got sick was um, get a binder and take a copy of every record. And, um, you know, I, that's what I did. I, you should see the boxes. I actually have those. Oh, I, uh, under my desk. I you know. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, I'll love to talk more. Awesome. I'll reach out to you through this. <laughs> I'm looking at your website. Okay, awesome. Thank you. But we do have, um, and Bailey knows this, we do have a Healing Strong Houston local group. Um, and so maybe we could recruit more participants if you need them um, locally here. And that's That'd something, you know, we could talk about that offline. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Bailey, that. again. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Del. Wonderful. <laughs> All right, anyone? Anyone else have um, questions or comments? I'm, I'm Arlene, uh, and I have a, a question. Um, do you um, believe that um, the lifestyle um, of a person uh, should... Oh, she just muted. Hold on, Arlene. You, you muted yourself. <laughs> Go, oh, good. <laughs> Do you believe that the lifestyle of a pre-cancer person should be investigated to determine um, um, how they've been living, um, what they've been eating, what they've been drinking, 
what they've been uh, putting in their body that could cause um, a cancer. So I have many beliefs and assumptions. Um, the analogy I like to use is, and I'm obviously not a doctor, but um, I've seen, I'm starting to have the benefit of talking to so many cancer patients that I'm starting to have knowledge that is uncommon. Um, but what I believe is like, I think about cancer and is a Petri dish, right? So you've got, you've got a dish and you have a medium inside of it. And if you could imagine putting a mold spore inside the Petri dish, and then I ask the question, will it grow? And people go, well, yeah, it'll grow, or no, it won't grow, or I don't know if it'll grow. Well, it depends. It de depends on the temperature in the room, what is the medium. There's so many factors that go into it. So there's this heavy emphasis, emphasis in the medical world on genetics. Yeah. So it, you know, it's genetics, 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 and the reality is if you look at the studies, Genetics have a role, but it's not as big of a deal as, as what gets talked about in the media. And the truth is it takes a whole, it's the perfect storm. It's a whole set of circumstances, right. environmental, your lifestyle, your diet, nutrition, your, you know, your personal genetic profile, not only your predisposition to cancer, but also all of those uh, systems in the body like why does one person get it and another person doesn't well you know why does one person get cavities like so one of my children gets cavities all the time and the other one doesn't and so why does that happen and I think yes lifestyle is important I think that plays a role I think there's a hormonal influence there's a genetic influence there's an environmental influence and I think all of that needs more study yeah, I, I know, you know, uh, like with my husband, he, he died of cancer. I'm sorry. And, um, I, I know that his cancer stemmed from, um, his years of, of drinking. And, um, and he didn't know that he had cancer until about um, two months before he died. Uh, so he was living with this cancer inside of him because of the drinking and of course, um, the drinking kept him from um, having, um, I guess, uh, pain and discomfort in, until the bitter end. So I really feel that um, a lot of the cancers that people um, end up having or getting they've they've caused themselves because of poor diet uh drinking smoking um numerous things because i know that my lord has given us 
everything on this earth to ingest if we only do it. But we'd rather um, ingest things that taste better. And, and take away our um, uh, stresses and, and, and things like that. And that's when I feel that we come down with these things, such as cancer. I think that that happen, definitely happens in a lot of cases. And the other thing, and Bailey, you had asked me this, uh, but I'll comment on now is that like what's the, the thing that I see most common in people who get well is their mindset. And yes. what is the thing that I see that's very common in people who get sick is their mindset. You know, that stress and worry and all of the, yeah, my husband used to say to me all the time, uh, all the time, you know, well, one of us might get cancer someday. Like he just, it was like a daily thing. Like, well, we got to do this, but you know, we got to enjoy our lives because one of us might get cancer. And I'm just like, right. I was floored because that was the thing that he hyper-focused on all the time. So I think, you know, what we put in our body is important. I think that, you know, I've always heard everything in moderation. Yes. Yes. Our bodies are these amazing engines, but if you think about it like a car, if you used it, yes. Yeah, if you drive the car at 150 miles an hour and, you know, push the accelerator and you slam on the brakes, that car is going to wear out way faster exactly. than a car that you drive gently and maintain yes. well. So yes. I think that that's true. And I think that there needs, again, our data set, we hope yeah. we'll be able to say, look, all of these people were drinkers. And yeah. that, you know, that showed up more prevalent than... Yeah. And you know, we have a place over here that was a non-drinker, but yeah. those are the, the, the indicators. I think there's a problem in mm -hmm. research as I see it today, yeah. which is they say, oh, I think this, so let's go investigate this one thing instead of saying, what does the data tell us? Right. But I think, I think it's going to tell us what you're talking about. Right, right. Because like in, in your husband's case, um, I believe... Um, that all the stress that he was under and him having um, an upset stomach all the time and, and having to take uh, something for it was an indication that there is something wrong. And he didn't bother to address the, the wrong, you see. And he just uh, took the, um, uh, not the cure, but he took the, the thing that would ease the discomfort. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't what was causing the discomfort, you know. Yeah. So, he he yeah. thought somebody else was, so I say this all the time too, yeah. is I'm coming up with all this list of things I say all the time. We are the largest stakeholders in our health. Yes. We are the yes. least involved yes. in our health until we have a health crisis. Yes. And then we start paying attention, right? But what happens if we start paying attention sooner? 
Yes, that's right. We could have avoided the inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that's where our wellness piece is I, starting to come into play. Yeah. I, I'm a firm believer that we need to obey the Lord when he says that we should take care of our bodies. And he's given us everything we need to take care of our bodies. But we, um, we tend to lean toward what makes us feel good, tastes good, and, and, not, and not, you know, eat the right things and drink the right things. So uh, we are to blame. <laughs> Yeah, we're a work in progress, that's yes. for sure. Some more aware than others, right? I have, I have to pray to the Lord, Lord, you know what's wrong. Help me to do what's right. <laughs> Amen. So thank you very much for your, your story. Thank you very much for uh, what you're trying to accomplish as as you um, uh, see the great need that uh, cancer patients have, and they they need someone to uh, guide them and and um, give them encouragement and uh, help them get some real answers. <laughs> So thank you very much. I appreciate well, you. your work. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, we have uh, an additional special guest with us. And um, Crystal, you know him, Court Davies. And he's actually the reason that I found out about you is through the One Habit to Beat Cancer Summit. And I was so bummed that I didn't get to uh, see your interview because it was only up um, for a period of time and I didn't realize it at the moment, but um, now we, <laughs> we've we come full circle and so Court's here with us. Hi, Court. Hi, everyone. Bailey, I can send, I can send you that, I can send you that interview. You can just ask me for it. I can send it to you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you don't need to wait to see it again. I can just send it to you. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for, for interviewing Crystal. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known about her. Hi, Crystal. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Aren't we supposed to be talking about something? We are. <laughs> we, we, have a, we, we have a tech meeting, right? Um, 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 yes. we, need, we have a discussion coming up. So it's we so do. funny. I heard your name. I'm like, Crystal and I are supposed to talk, I think. <laughs> we are. Yeah, so it's, it's almost 9 o'clock in yes. Houston right now, mm -hmm. and, which is not a problem, but I still have a patient interview to do tonight, and... I'll probably work till about 2 a.m. So, Court, don't take it personally. It is at the top of my list. Oh, I am just kidding with you. You get back to me whenever you can. I, I definitely want your input and advice for sure. <laughs> Did you hear earlier, Court, that the the Apple uh, Apple approved the first version of the symptom tracker? It's on the App Store. No, congratulations. Congratulations. It's not without flaw, but it's functional. And um, our developer actually put it in his own personal name. I don't know how that happened, but... He is also out sick right now, so we can't get that fixed. 
but um, it is, you have to be authenticated. So if any of you download it, we'll have to authenticate you on the back end, which I've learned how to do. I'm learning a little bit about that stuff. But it's really cool because we're, we're onboarding patients with their custom list of like, what do they want to track? But then you have the control to change it, add whatever. And we're already providing reports to doctors and it's, it's, it's in our test version. And so it's been a, re it's been a moment. We'll call mm -hmm. it a moment, but it's good to see you. Good to see you too. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for coming, especially thank Crystal. You. Thank you for being so yeah. generous with your time and uh, your heart and, um, you know, your, your care and compassion for everyone. And um, thank you so much. So we look forward to seeing all that happens. Yes. Yeah, me too. And Bailey, thank you for, for um, inviting me and, you know, opening this up for me to, to visit with the people you spend your time with. And I just wanted to say what a blessing you, you have been to me in this very short time we've known each other. Um, I really, I love seeing how things all come together. And it was really my honor to, and pleasure to be here tonight. Thank you so much. Praise God. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. Can I do anything to help you? <laughs> All right. Have a wonderful night, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> Bye.